Chapter Seven of Molly Brown's Junior Days by Nell Speed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Midnight Adventure. Molly and Nance had little to say to each other that night as they undressed for bed. Nance was still filled with hot indignation over Judy's falling off, as she called it, and Molly had no heart for conversation. The door to Judy's bedroom at the other end of the sitting room was closed, and they were not surprised when she did not call good night as was her custom. Nobody looked in on them. It was late, and the quadrangle was soon perfectly still. Under the sheets, her head buried in the pillows, Molly cried a long time, softly and quietly like a steady downpour of rain. It seemed somehow that her beloved friend Judy had died and that she was grieving for her. At last, worn out, she fell asleep. It was a very heavy sleep. She felt as if her arms were tied and she was sinking down into space and, as is always the case with dreams of falling, she waked with a nervous leap as if her body had hit the bed and rebounded. As she fell, she had dreamed that she heard a voice calling. Never mind what it said. Already the word, whatever it was, was a mere pinpoint in her memory. It had flashed through her mind like a shooting star across the sky. It was brilliantly illuminating for the instant. Molly was sure that it meant a great deal. It was an important word, and it had an urgent significance. For the tenth of a second, her mind had been awake, and now it was quite dark again. Molly leaped out of bed and began pulling on her clothes. Why am I dressing, she thought. It is because I must hurry. Hurry, that was the word. It came back to her now, quietly and significantly. Nance wakened and sat up in bed. What is it? she asked. I don't know. I, I must hurry. Don't stop me, answered Molly. Nance looked at her curiously. You've had a nightmare, Molly, she said. Molly glanced up vaguely as Nance switched on the light. Have I? I don't know, but I must make haste or I'll be too late. Too late for what? I don't know yet. Wake up, Molly. You're asleep. Nothing is going to happen. You are here in your own room. Yes, yes. I understand, but I must hurry. Don't stop me, Nance. You may come if you like, but don't stop me. Nance had often heard that it was dangerous to awaken sleepwalkers too suddenly, and she believed now, as she saw Molly slipping on her skirt and sweater, that she was certainly asleep. Dearest Molly, she insisted, this is college. You are in your own room. It's a quarter to twelve. Don't go out of the room. Molly took no notice. Nance turned on another light and slipped across to Judy's room. She must have help, and Judy was the nearest person. Judy's not in her room, she exclaimed suddenly in a scared voice. Molly gave a slight shudder. It's Judy who needs me, she said. I was trying to remember. I couldn't make it out at first. Put on your things, Nance. Don't delay. Put out the light. We must hurry. Nance got into a few clothes as fast as she could. She slipped on tennis shoes and an ulster, and presently the two girls were standing in the corridor. Where are we going, Molly? asked Nance, now under the spell of the other's conviction. This way, answered Molly, looking indeed like a sleepwalker as she glided down the hall to the main steps. If the girls had glanced back, they would have noticed a figure creep softly after them. But the gate is locked, objected Nance. I know, but we'll find another way. Come on. Down the steps they hastened noiselessly. 
at the bottom instead of going straight ahead molly turned to the left and led the way to a sitting-room for visitors on the ground floor of the tower the windows of the tower room as it was known looked out on the campus they were small deep-silled and closed with iron-bound wooden shutters like the doors into the cloisters mounting a bench molly opened the inside glass casement of one of the windows and drew back the bolt which secured the shutter then she hoisted herself onto the sill crawled through the window and holding by both hands dropped to the ground nance of a more practical temperament wondered how they would ever get back into the tower room but blind unquestioning faith is an infinitely stronger staff to lean upon than uneasy speculation as nance was one day to find out when the night watchman makes his rounds will he see the window open in the tower she thought and if he does what will he do give the alarm at once or try to find out our names and report us if he reports us what then we may be expelled or suspended or punished in some awful way so nance's thoughts busily shaped out these tragic events as she followed molly out of the window and dropped to the gravel walk below the tower clock struck twelve while the two girls flitted across the campus it was a strange adventure nance pondered and one she would never have undertaken or even considered alone but then her instincts were not like molly's the inner voice which spoke to her sometimes was usually the sharp reproving voice of a puritan conscience it spoke to her now but she turned a deaf ear to it for once it told her how absurd she would appear to other people in this dangerous midnight escapade what risks she was running judy of course had spent the night with one of the other girls it said it troubled her mind with whispers of doubts and fears it ridiculed and abused her but not once did it weaken her determination to follow molly wherever she intended to go and presently when molly quickened her footsteps into a run nance kept right at her elbow like a noonday shadow foreshortened and broadened molly turned in the direction of the lake nance's heart gave a violent thump she had believed all along that they were taking a short cut across to the gymnasium instead of following the gravel walk molly you don't think she began breathlessly don't talk now hurry was molly's brief reply across a corner of the golf course they flew and before nance could take breath for another dash through a fringe of pine trees she caught sight of the waters as black as ink she clutched molly's arm did you hear anything she asked in a frightened whisper they waited a moment straining their ears in the darkness from the middle of the lake came the sound of a canoe paddle dipping into the water molly breathed a sigh of relief it's all right she said and they hastened down to the platform of the boathouse in another moment they had launched a small rowboat and were out on the lake will judy keene never learn sense nance thought impatiently she's just like a prairie fire it only takes a spark to set her going and then she burns up everything in sight nance had never been able to understand why judy could not hold her passionate excitable temperament more in control she herself had learned self-denial at an early age but that was because she had a selfish mother how did you ever guess she would be here molly she asked as the prow of the boat cut softly through the waters of the lake with a musical ripple nance was rowing and molly who had never learned to handle oars was sitting facing her i don't know i can't explain it i dreamed that someone said hurry and the lake seemed to be the place to come to 
some two hundred feet beyond they now made out the silhouette of a canoe judy of course it was judy already they recognized the outline of her slender figure kneeling in the bottom of the boat had stopped paddling she held up her head like a startled animal when it sensed danger it occurred to nance watching her over her shoulder as they drew nearer that there was really something wild and untamed in judy's nature she remembered that the first morning they had met her at queen's judy had laughingly announced that she had been born at sea on a stormy night but it was no joking matter nance was thinking and she fervently wished that judy would learn to quell her troubled moods the next instant the two boats touched prows the little canoe the most delicate and sensitive craft that there is quivered violently with the shock of the collision and sprang back as it bounded forward again molly held out her hand instinctively judy grasped it and the two boats drew alongside each other crawl into our boat judy dearest said molly it will be easier to pull the canoe to shore if it's empty judy prepared silently to obey but a canoe is not a thing to be reckoned with at critical moments just as judy raised her foot to step into the other boat the treacherous little craft shot from under her and over she toppled head foremost into the waters fortunately she was an excellent swimmer and the star diver of the gymnasium pool but the lake was not deep and when she came up sputtering and puffing she found herself standing in water that was only shoulder high nance often thought and looking back on this painful episode that nothing they could have said to judy would have brought her so completely to her senses as this cold ducking certainly if judy had actually planned to jump into the lake her wishes were most ludicrously carried out and the struggle she now made to climb back into the boat showed that she was not anxious to stay any longer than she could help in the icy bath it was a sight for laughter more than for tears sensible nance pondered with a slight feeling of contempt that of judy struggling and kicking to draw herself into the boat indeed she almost managed to upset them too but she did tumble in somehow shivering and wet but extremely contrite how did you know i was out here was the first question she put when having seized the rope on the prow of the canoe they headed for shore i didn't know i only guessed answered molly she was up and dressed before she even knew you were not in your room announced nance i was a fool exclaimed judy and i now know what good friends you are to have come for me i don't know exactly what i intended to do out here she went on brokenly i felt ashamed to face anyone even mamma and papa i might she broke off shivering rivulets of water were pouring from her wet clothing into the bottom of the boat she still wore the costume she had worn in the last scene of the play i'll give you my ulster as soon as we land judy said nance rowing with long rapid strokes which sent the boat skimming over the water i'm just a low-down worthless dog went on judy taking no notice of nance's interruption there's no good trying to apologize molly words don't mean anything but when the chance comes and the chance always does come if you want it i'll be able to show you how sorry i am for what i did and how much i really love you you showed me what a real friend you were last winter judy broke in molly when you gave up your room at queen's for my sake i wasn't angry about what happened at the gym i was hurt of course because i'm a sensitive plant but i knew it would be all right in the end because we are too close to each other now to let a few hasty words come between us but here we are at the boat landing having tied the two boats in the boathouse which was never kept locked they hurried back to college 
Nance insisted upon Judy's putting on her ulster. You know I'm never cold, she said. You girls will just kill me with kindness, exclaimed Judy humbly. But Nance did not even hear this abject speech. The question of how they were to get back into the quadrangle was occupying her mind. We're taking an awful risk, she observed to Molly in a low voice. There is no other way but the window, I suppose. I can't think of any other way, answered Molly, unless we ring the bell over the gate and alarm the entire dormitory. Suppose the night watchman has closed the window. What then? demanded Nance. Why, we'll just have to find some other way then, answered her optimistic friend. But the window in the tower room was wide open, just as they had left it. The doubting Nance still had another theory. Suppose the night watchman has left it open on purpose to catch us when we come back, she suggested. I do wish you would stop hunting up troubles, Nance, ejaculated Molly irritably. I never found supposing did any good anyhow. Nance, thus rebuked, said nothing more. Molly, boosted by the other girls, pulled herself onto the window sill and climbed into the room. She looked about her cautiously, but Nance's fears were groundless so far. The room was perfectly empty. Let down a chair, whispered Judy. There were no small chairs about, however, and she was obliged to choose a bench. How are we to get it back again? she asked after Nance had clambered in, and Judy, halfway through, paused to consider this question. Hurry, the watchman, hissed Nance on the lookout at the door. He's coming down the side corridor. The next instant Judy had leaped into the room, and the three girls were tearing along the hall and up the steps, Judy leaving a trail of water behind her. The watchman had seen them. They could hear the beat of his steps on the cement floor as he ran. The fugitives reached the upper corridor just as he arrived at the first landing on the stairs. Kick off your pumps, Judy, and pick up your skirts. He'll trace us by the wet trail if you don't. Another dash, and they were in their sitting room, the door locked behind them. Oh, blessed relief! Judy, in her stocking feet, was holding up her skirts with both hands. Nance had seized one of the slippers, and she thought that Molly had the other. But the final excitement of that eventful night was veiled in mystery. As they had burst into their sitting room, someone ran swiftly across the room, through the passage into Judy's room, and into the corridor. They dared not follow and run the risk of meeting the night watchman, probably standing at that moment at the end of the corridor trying to trace that path of water, which, thanks be to Nance's prudence, ended there and was lost on the green strip of carpet. Below in the tower room, the windows of the casement flapped back and forth in the wind, which was rising steadily, and on the path below stood that tell-tale bench. Anyhow, said Molly, there's only one person who knows we were out tonight, and, whoever she is, she can't tell without giving herself away. End of chapter 7 Recording by Debbie R. Baker Robinson